Welcome to the Doing Good Business Podcast, designed to bring out the best in you and your organization. I'm Laura Heacock, a leadership coach on a mission to create a culture where business is the true balance of head and heart. I work with leaders and companies on how to leverage my brand of kindness to gain powerful results. And I'm Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business, helping you shift conversations to identify what works and find ways to build on that success with people, planet, and profit in mind. The Doing Good Business Podcast is the place to learn about transformational leadership qualities and purpose-driven business practices that are essential to success in today's modern market. You can make the world a better place through business, and the business case for that starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Doing Good Business. We were just having so much fun, we almost forgot to turn on the recording, but lucky for you all, we did. Kelly and I are so excited to welcome Glade Holman to the podcast. And Glade was kind enough to tell me that I could say this before we recorded because I think of him as the king of feedback. But Glade, if you would kindly introduce yourself in a little bit more detail, I'm sure our listeners would appreciate that. Sure. Thanks. And very excited, by the way, to join in and to share hopefully something from my experience set that will be a benefit to anyone that's listening. Corda, who kind of I am in my professional career, has always been, what can I do with the individual I'm working with to help them thrive? You know, and then it kind of goes from what can I do to help their team thrive? And then what can we do to help their organization thrive? And so when you say introduce myself, I'd say probably that's a central motivator for me. And it starts with the individual team and then organization. Sometimes I come in at the organization. Sometimes I come in at the team. Sometimes I come in at the individual. But core, my first thing is always my commitment to help whoever I'm with try and be just a little bit better or the way they want to be to kind of go forward. And and that's where Learning Bridge came about out of a desire to provide people with feedback that could be useful for them. It's been around for about 20 years now and we were when since it's been founded, but if if we can help somebody thrive at work, I just think we've I mean, if you think about it, when you go and give yourself to a a job, there's an accountability for that organization because you're giving them the best hours of your day. They're giving them the best, you know, access to your mind, to your intellect and I I personally feel an accountability, you know, for the folks that work with me that I'm, you know, I'm kind of taking from what's most important to them, to the people that's most important for them. So there's an accountability to help them thrive where they are because they've agreed to give me their best time, their best access. So it's always about helping them thrive individually as a team and an organization. And we're excited to be part of the conversation today. And hopefully we can explore that a little bit. I love that. So I think of if thriving is the destination, is feedback your vehicle? Is that a fair assessment? I, I think that's a really fair assessment. It's it's that's what motivates me to mm-hmm. actually do what I do because sometimes giving feedback can be challenging for the giver as well because it might be fraught with also some concern about how it's going to be received. Mm-hmm. And I find that for me, keeping the end in mind that how can I help this person be more successful? How can I help them thrive? How can I help them be happier? puts me in a position to offer feedback in a way that makes it easy for them to to accept or to or to ch- understand how they should work with it and then what portion of the feedback I have to sh- to kind of accept. Mm. So Glade, I know you talk about obviously feedback but specifically generative feedback. And this is Laura, I work with leaders every day and generative feedback was a new phrase. So would you share a little bit about, you know, what that is and and how it's beneficial to both the feedback giver and the recipient? You know, that's a great question. The reason why I chose to use the word generative in front of feedback is because for most of us, 
our first experience with feedback that we would label feedback is usually not good. It feels like it took energy from us, right? Yeah. Think of the last time you got a piece of constructive feedback that mm. was a surprise. <laughs> it, it, it sometimes takes the wind right out of you, right? Mm. And it and it pulls you down and you need time to kind of recuperate and come forward. And sometimes there are folks that just see feedback as something to be avoided yeah. um, because it does suck energy from them rather than offering f- energy um, to them. And so for, for me, generative feedback is feedback that generates positive energy, right? It generates more energy than it consumes towards a beneficial end for the receiver. And if I can deliver feedback that generates energy towards a benefic- a benefit for the end receiver, then I'm doing generative feedback. And that's what I want to focus on. And and that can be constructive. I don't care if you want to call it constructive. I don't care if you want to call it negative. I don't care if you want to call it positive. But it is all of that has the opportunity to be generative. Even feedback that is delivered poorly or maybe even unfair or off the mark can still be generative if you want to learn how to make it so. So that's where we kind of send our, our focus So that's so interesting to me that even the, and I'm using, not that y'all can see me, but I'm using my air quotes here, that even the air quote negative feedback can still be generative. Yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, so there's, for me, there's kind of like two kinds of negative feedback. I'm sure there's more, but one type of negative feedback is, oh, you're telling me I'm doing something wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. And I need to do it differently than I did do it. Another kind of negative feedback is I'm being negative with you, you know, and I'm <laughs> right. giving you bad feedback. Both sense of that word negative, I think you can still turn to generative if you bring the right mindset as the receiver to the table. And so I do think that, you know, I'll often work with folks, you direct me or not, but there was a point in my career where I got this reputation for being able to deliver really difficult feedback in a way that people could accept it and then act on it. And so I kind of got this title like, oh, he's the VP whisperer. You know, he's the one that's going to help the person get over the hump to get to the thing because there's that difficult piece of feedback that no one really addresses with this person. But he's the feedback king. (laughs) Yeah, you know, and so I I would get and and sometimes it was not there was a lack of courage on in the organization. It was like, okay, Mm. you know, Glade will do it. He'll 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 do it. Yeah. and it was find a way to, to, but it was because of that beneficial component that would do it. So I could offer that feedback in a constructive way that they could accept and act on to their end benefit. You know, and so it's like, it is a, it is a skill, but mm-hmm. not everybody has the benefit of having great feedback providers around them. So I really want to help the receiver figure out how to take any feedback and they themselves make it generative rather than rely on the skill of the person that happens to be giving it to them. We teach people to do that. We know most of us have actually joined courses to do it, but we should actually spend more time teaching people how to receive it than to give it. Glade, this is Kelly. I I think that's fascinating. And you mentioned as part of that, right, the receiver has to have like a mindset for this. So what are some of the mindset qualities or maybe even skills that they need? Because when we think about it in terms of the negative, Lauren and I talk about this a lot on the show. We talk about it with guests. We talk about it with each other, right? It, it activates that center of our brain that wants to protect us. And we know that part of the physiological response in that is that your hearing is a little diminished, right? It's often yeah. why you can say, I, you know, it's like she can't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> we shut ourselves off. So what types of things do we need to, to receive that? What have you seen that's been very successful 
when people can, can, can cultivate something to, in order to receive this feedback? Sure. I think the first thing is to recognize what you already highlighted. And we do spend time talking with folks. And that is that oftentimes feedback, when we hear it, and it's a surprise to us, the amygdala does that thing you're talking about right there that says it's a threat. And it will actually take the blood that was in your prefrontal cortex and reroute it to your limbs and to your lungs and to get you ready to fight and flight. Right. You don't have access to that prefrontal cortex where reasoning happens, where your core personality is, where all those things who make you who you are happen. In the very moment you want to listen and be able to learn and reflect, you can't because your body is responding as if it's a snake in the grass and Mm -hmm. you're looking to run from it. So the first thing we'll do is, hey, look, it's, it's kind of normal to have that that reaction to feedback what you want, so recognize that that's always a possibility. And then you can take some steps to avoid the amygdala hijacking it and keep the blood flow and the oxygen in the prefrontal cortex. So the first thing is just to recognize that, yeah, I might actually react that way, but I can learn skills that will help me not do that. Just like I can learn skills to give it, I can also learn skills to not make me do that. Yeah, what are some of those skills? Sure, so I think the first one that I wish that people would adopt on both sides of this is, Feedback comes from a framework in our mind, and usually it's coming, particularly in the professional setting, around you know measure and assess. And when it comes in measure or assess, usually that means I'm going to lose something or mm-hmm. I'm going to gain something, and it sets it up in a in that area where the amygdala wants to get involved because it looks like there's going to be loss or a threat. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lose my livelihood because I'm going to get fired, or I'm not going to get the reward that I was hoping for because I was a you know three on a scale of five and I mm-hmm. I only met expectations rather than far exceeded them. That's measure and assess. The framework I want people to receive it in and also give it is grow and improve. So I just wish I could strike out measure and assess and replace it with grow and improve. Right. Um, and if I can replace it with grow and improve in in the receiver's mind, they can translate the measure and assess into grow and improve language. If I get a chance to kind of influence the giver, I want them to always give it in the grow and improve framework. And if I can get that framework, then the language follows. That's fabulous. And if our listeners are in a place where they can comfortably and safely take a note, grow and improve, grow, like, this is wonderful. It completely reframes what you're trying to do. If you get that part right, a lot of the other things kind of fall within it because there's a future orientation to it. Right. And I'll always, you know, encourage someone to say, look, when you're receiving feedback, remember, it's not about last time, it's about next time. And the longer you spend, you know, defending what happened last time or, you know, arguing or offering excuses or offering reasons as to why last time happened that way, the less time you're 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 going to you're going to live in the amygdala and not the prefrontal cortex. Don't even argue that part. Let's go from last time to next time. You know, make feedback about next time, not about last time, because mm-hmm. if I can keep it future focused, the blood flow is actually going to stay future focused because everything that happens in the future, that's where the planning happens is, is in that in that front mm-hmm. part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex. Right. And we've got that, you know, fight, flight, freeze, or appease, right? Yeah. So I've yeah. seen that happen before where you're not really hearing it. And then you just go, okay, all right. Cause you're just appeasing somebody, but you're not necessarily one hearing what they were saying, right. The, where the valuable feedback could be. And you're not really buying into the idea that you're going to do it differently in the future because yeah. you're, you're, it's kind of scrambled. I just wish folks would have, like, I'll say two things to someone if you're receiving feedback. If you can put on put on loop a little tape and just say, you know, these two things going in your head and maybe it keeps the amygdala under control. And that is, you know, it, it's, it's not about me. It's about what they see, yeah. right? Because no one can define who we are. They No one gets a sense into the core person that we are, but we tend to take feedback as if it is. 
they're telling us as much about themselves as they are about us. So I, that's the first phrase I want them to have in their head. It's not about me. It's about what they see. And the second one is it's not about last time. It's about next time. Mm-hmm. And if those two phrases played in a loop as I'm receiving maybe difficult feedback, I have a chance of keeping myself where I have my best self available to respond and reflect and think about it. So I'm so curious because that's amazing. And so in my work, I, I talk a lot about for the receivers, you know, like how do you stay in your body? So how do you come back to the moment? There's a physical component, but I love that cognitive component to it. And I'm wondering, you know, when I'm talking to a leader, the biggest fear is like, you know, well, what if they cry? What if they get, a, what if there's a big emotional reaction? Have you seen this work that you do with the recipients of feedback, which really should be everyone, whether you're a leader, or you're an individual contributor, everybody should be getting feedback. But how does this impact the folks who are on the receiving end of, of difficult feedback by learning these tools? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think, you know, you say I, I have been in those situations where the tears do come. And I think there is an accountability on, on the giver side to recognize that that that's a signal to them on the way that feedback's being received. And then to to sometimes the giver, they have a need that they're trying to meet, which is I'm going to give you this feedback, whether yeah. you want it or not. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not the giving boss. It, yeah, I'm not giving it for you. I'm giving it for me. Yeah. And sometimes that feedback comes off as frustration or sometimes it comes off in a way. And I think when I see that if the leader responds with empathy, right, mm-hmm. and says, I'm on your side, right? Mm-hmm. I'm here to help you grow and improve. I'm not here to measure and assess. I'm here to help you about next time that I'm going to be on the other side of the table with them rather than across the table from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I see the tears or I see the emotional reaction or I see anger, I know already that I am not on the same side of the table in their mind. And I always want to put myself on the same side of the table. Mm-hmm. If I find I'm not, then I recognize that my feedback has very low probability of being accepted because the, if I'm on the other side of the table, that's a threat environment. Right. Um, and so I want to move that myself to the other side. And that's going to be, you know, you using your EQ to figure out how do I get onto the same side of the table with them, mm-hmm. give them some time to absorb it, mm-hmm. let them know it's, it's not about them. It's, you know, again, it's not, you know, how do you depersonalize it? That, those types of skills. I think there's a lot of, a lot of research out there to help folks kind of do that too. Gosh, I love that because I think, you know, for me, that's the most common fear that I encounter from the leaders. And and I think that fear is what really drives feedback that is given in that power over way. And what I hear you saying, Blade, is is power with, right? Same side of the table. But often the fear of, you know, what if they cry? What if they react? What if there's big emotion will drive it to be, and I'm going to use the word aggressive just for lack of a better word, but like delivered poorly, right? For it to be like, okay, here's the feedback on the boss because I have to just get it out because I'm really deeply uncomfortable in myself. Yeah, and 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 that's that that's unfortunate, right? Because again, they're it's they're not yet in the mind of the receiver or they're 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 letting their own fears guide what they do rather than what is going to be of benefit to this individual. I learned early on a very I mean this is a a, a teeny one but you know these little vignettes stay in your mind. I was working with a, a partner of mine and we were working with someone who is just at the cusp of a seat for you know a top, you know, 100 com- you know company in the in the in in the in the globe, you know, a mm-hmm. Fortune 100 kind of a thing or even 50. So 
undeniably very successful, but had come from a different culture mm. rather than, you know, the Western culture. And there were, and I'm, I'm cognizant around, you know, we want to bring ourselves to work. And this is almost 15 years ago, but there were just some things that he was, that he had that would make him be misperceived and things that would be attributed to him that were not who he was. And he says, I, I gotta, I gotta help him with this. It was about his tie, you know, <laughs> and it was like, and it was like, I thought, what you're going to go, what you're going to give him feedback like that. And he just said to me, he said, Glade, if I don't do it, who will, Yeah, it might hold him back. And so that to me said, yeah, you know what, if I'm going to be that giver, I need to always keep, if I don't do it, who will, meaning this is going to be a benefit and use for them. That's what motivated him to give him a piece of difficult feedback that was maybe awkward to even give to him. And, but he did it because of his motivation or as, you know, if I don't, who will, I better step in because it's going to be a benefit for them. Well, and that's caring, right? It comes from a foundation of, I care about this person. It's not, you know, your tie is ugly. (laughs) It's I care about you and I want you to be, you know, as best. I want you to have all of the possibilities to go as far as you possibly can. Right. Like what you're hearing on the Doing Good Business podcast? Then you'll love working with Laura or Kelly. Visit doinggoodbusiness.com forward slash the host to learn about them and how their services can help you do good business. This is uh, Kelly. I have a question for you on the strategic side of this. I, I kind of think, and you can tell me if, if I'm right or wrong on this, but feedback seems to be like a secondary thought for a lot of business leaders, business owners, right? It's like something they don't really think of being strategic. But if you were to think about feedback truly as being an essential part of your organizational operational model, for lack of a better word, or or for part of your leadership strategy, what do you see? Like, why do business leaders come to you and say, we need you, Glade? Like, what is it that they are trying to either improve or are they trying to take everything to the next level, literally go from, you know, that good to great model? What do you find is is more prevalent? Or maybe it's something else, in, in which case, feel free to share for, that too. No, I think there is that desire to go from the good to great. And there is that desire. But there's, for me, there's, there's yet to start with the acknowledgement that in order to grow and improve, I actually need feedback and an individual needs feedback, right? There's just, you, you, no one can see their own leadership through their own eyes. You can really only see it through the eyes of others. And so if you, if you don't have a window into, into how others see you and your behaviors and your impact, then you can't grow and improve. And unless you just get lucky um, right. and hit upon the right thing, then, then you're not going to be successful at it. So I kind of start with that, 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 you know what, you, you need feedback to grow and improve kind of like full stop. So now let's figure out how to get you the feedback you need in a way that you can accept it and then act on it. So I always kind of think of, you know, how do you help people? I kind of like get comfortable, right? Get curious. Mm -hmm. Get comfortable means keep the amygdala under control. Get curious means explore it and then get busy. And if you get feedback, that's what I want to happen. Get comfortable, get curious and get busy. And and if you can do those three things, you got a good sense. You got a good chance at growing and improving. And then so... Again, for our listeners and all the people who might be thinking about this differently now, and typically we talk about maybe building the business case for this, but at least thinking about this, right, as as something tangible, uh, actionable that they could be working on in their organizations, how do you know when it's working? Like, Mm. what do you see either in the person or in the organization? What are some of the early indicators like, oh, this is great? 
I think what happens within relationships, within teams, and then also within organizations is, is slowly the view of feedback can kind of change from something that can hurt me or is for the benefit of the organization to something that's the benefit for me and that helps me. Mm -hmm. um, the first time you take a piece of feedback and put it into action and you get a positive result from it, you want to get another bite of that same apple because it helped you. And so how do you get those first few generative experiences of receiving feedback so it can cascade around a natural desire and openness to seek it and receive it? And that means the leaders being vulnerable in the way that that she seeks for leadership or, or sorry, seeks for the feedback, that 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 norm is there. Perfection's not required. We're all in the process of becoming. We learn and grow. And that, that starts with the leader showing that. And then when you see that, wow, that feedback made a huge difference, there begins to be that, you know, I, I mentioned a, an acquired taste for it because all of a sudden it goes from being bitter you know, uh, onions originally were kind of very bitter to me, but I found out if you sautéed them, um, they can be really tasty. And I, you know, gained. Now I even like the bitter ones. You know, you can <laughs> you can you can gain a taste for it over time, but you have to have those experiences to do it. So true. I love that. I think that's amazing. So, Glade, one of the things that that I saw you reference when when I was reading about you before we met today was talking about the human dimension of leadership as well as the analytical dimension. And I often talk about the balance of head and heart. So I think we're yeah. really aligned there. But tell me a little bit about what that means to you, that analytical and human dimension. Well, I, I you know, I think one, you have to acknowledge that we are human beings and that we bring- Turns out. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Um, and that means we have a set of motivations and that means we have a set of reactions and that means we bring a whole, a, a whole lot of things to the plate that sometimes in the business world, we used to try and squash Mm -hmm. And that you can't bring that into the into the arena. It's just about the data. It's just about the facts. It's just about the framework that you're using. But the analytical dimension is much easier to get a handle on than is the human dimension. And so I often would see, and I did this specifically in the area of strategic leadership, individuals would think if I can get just get the strategy right, you know, I'm going to get the best strategy in the world but they left out the human dimension of what does it take to get people aligned to and execute a strategy yeah. that they would fail. It didn't matter how good their strategic thinking was. If they didn't recognize what it took to bring along someone in terms of understanding ownership and alignment, that human dimension, then they were going to meet failure. And, and it's easy for us to think we're smart and people want to be seen as smart. Hmm. And so they, they, they lean into the analytical and they ignore the human dimension of it. And so I spend most of my time, although I like to say I'm about business results as I am about individual personal success, but I know the best way I can do that is by actually getting the balance better on that human dimension, because that's where there's the deficits generally in a very business results oriented organization. Mm -hmm. Say it again for the people in the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, like we're not going to get the business results unless we drive the human dimension. I mean, to your point, you can have the best strategy out there, but if nobody wants to believe in it because you don't believe in them, then your strategy is going nowhere. Right. Yeah. Gartner has uh, research out there that something like 65% of mid-level managers feel that they are not prepared to execute, to implement strategy because they don't really understand what is expected of them or they don't have the tool and, or they don't have the tools to do it. But when you think about like that front part of it, you're like, wow, really? You created strategy for people without including them in the conversation or understanding, you know, what their input was or asking them, do you have everything that you need? And I just think that's an easy fix, but it goes up to the larger 
we're a big fan of this. You know, we talk about the data supported decision, not the data driven decision. And that's what this does when you when you continue to bring people who are the people who are going to make it happen for you into that conversation, the earlier you can do it, then you're more comfortable, i.e. less fearful, right, that you're taking a big risk. And you're not relying solely on the data, which will paint a completely different picture in some cases. And I think it's only a positive thing than to have these conversations so that you can make the data supported decisions. Sorry, I kind of got lost in my own train of thought there. No, no, I, <laughs> I, I really like that. Went and off the track for a second, but. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I like that. I like what you said. I think there's a, for me, there's kind of an analogy. I think of it as like, like, you know, you can build this really beautiful, you know, Ferrari or whatever car you want to have in your garage, you know, and it's there, but it doesn't have a transmission. So, you know, would I rather have a, a, a Jetta with a transmission or a Ferrari without one? And I think sometimes, you know, that the Ferrari might, that, that idea of the Ferrari Ferrari is that analytical, and I didn't I didn't put in the energy to figure out what is the transmission, which is that human dimension you're talking about. And sometimes yeah. it's it's I always think it's like I got to involve them in the solution and the destination because I don't want to. Otherwise, I'm left to sell them on it. If exactly. they're part of creating it, yes. they've already got ownership. If they don't have ownership, they're not going to take action. Yes. And I'd far rather help them build something then get them to buy something. And, and that's my orientation for leaders. I say, you want to help people build something rather than sell them something. If you're building a strategy, right. or if you're trying to go to a destination, involve them in the building of it. Don't give them a baked product and then try and get them to buy it. Right. Because people commit to what they help create. And no matter what strategy you have, there will be obstacles and that's okay. That's part of life, right? That's when we call on all those good prefrontal cortex <laughs> abilities. Yep. You know, and so, and that also provides room for growth, but, you know, people have to be committed in order to move forward and persevere, right? Yeah. So motivate, motivate, be motivated to take those first steps and persevere when the, when the going gets tough. I mean, even when I'm doing feedback and, you know, to kind of circle back into that realm, when you're giving feedback to somebody, that notion of ownership is really important. And when someone gives you feedback, you, that's your feedback. You get to own it. Right. Okay? And if you own it, that means you get to decide what to do with it. It doesn't, you know, so, so just know that when someone gives you feedback, it's yours. It's um, a gift. You, you get to decide what to do with it. You can put it on the shelf. Right. Um, you can pull a piece from it. You can shape it in different ways, but you need to choose what to do with it rather than do what someone's asked you to do with it. Because if you don't, own it, right? That you, you mentioned that idea of ownership. I always want to say, great, here's the feedback. So what could we do next time? I want to mm -hmm. give them an opportunity to come up with, here's what I'd like to do. Here's what I'd like to change rather than me always telling them what it is. Because I just know if they identify it themselves, they're going to be five times more likely to implement it mm -hmm. than if I tell them what to do. Right. So Wonderful. I just want to put them back in the driver's seat, right? It's, it's your feedback. You decide I'm here to help. Mm -hmm. um, Let's figure out what you can do to turn this to your benefit, to have it be something that generates energy rather than consumes. And now, now let's take that forward and but keep them in the driver's seat, keep them in the ownership spot, regardless of how difficult the feedback was that came to them. Mm -hmm. I love that. So, so my favorite thing to ask people, and I'm going to ask this of you, Glade, if you would bring us home with uh, the magic wand. So if you had a magic wand and you could make one big feedback change between leaders and teams... What would it be? What would that big change be? You know, I'm, I'm not going to say something new here, but my wish would be that we would leave measure and assess behind mm -hmm. um, and we'd only speak in terms of grow and improve. I love that. Um, because if we did that, 
so many other positive things would follow from. So that's, and, and just think of all the language that you experience inside organizations. It's almost every, it's almost always in terms of measure and assess, mm-hmm. right? Performance improvement. You know, if the, the language just sets us up for feedback to be very difficult to accept and receive, if it was grow and improve, I just wish you could always be that for, foremost in your mindset. Then the feedback comes more naturally and is more likely to be received. Well, I think you just I, titled the episode. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. And as people who believe we live in the worlds that our words create, I can tell you that Laura and I will help you am- amplify that message. I just mm-hmm. have a feeling I'll speak for both of us, right, Laura? We're going we're gonna to be talking about grow and improve and not measure and assess. Yeah, there's like three clients in my head right now that I'm going to mm-hmm. send this episode to once it's out in the world. So y'all be prepared. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Glee, thank you so much. What are you excited about and where can folks find you if they want more of your Glade goodness? Hey, well, sure. You know, what am I excited about? I am excited if something I have is a benefit to somebody else. And and I always give with the idea that some of it's going to be tossed aside and I hope some of it actually lands and is useful. And I and I let folks make their decision on that. So that excites me, but my excites me to be able to offer something that would be helpful to somebody. I think we can all do that. I'm always, and so if you want to talk about that, I'm always ready to be engaged in a conversation. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on our Learning Bridge site. I often get folks that will ask me questions on LinkedIn and I'll engage in conversations that have nothing to do with generating business um, <laughs> for me or my organization, but simply I learn a lot about individuals from their questions they ask and from the conversations we have around feedback. And yeah. I just, I wish that that we could use that more effectively because it's a single tool that will help you get more out of what you'd like. And if you could figure that one out, I don't care what other skill set you're missing. If you could figure out how to receive feedback well, that's going to be the best benefit rather than being the best strategic thinker. I want you to get that one because then you can apply it to anything. Awesome. I love that. How empowering. Yeah. I mean, it's a game changer for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just think of all of the instances in my career that like, oh, if I had just received feedback through this lens, how different would Mm -hmm. that have been? So thank you for sharing it. And thank you for giving folks the opportunity to really change their perspective on giving and receiving feedback. It's hugely valuable. Thank you. I really appreciated the opportunity to be part of the conversation. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Doing Good Business. We hope you'll tune in regularly, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and most importantly, tell a friend or a few. It's how we can build the critical mass to make the world a better place through business. The Doing Good Business podcast is brought to you by Laura Heacock of Laura Heacock Consulting and Kelly Stewart of The Positive Business. Learn how you can work with us at doinggoodbusiness.com slash the hosts. Let us know what you like about the podcast and what else you'd like to hear about through our online form on the contact page of doinggoodbusiness.com. We'll see you next time.